Oh yeah, that's what we were just talking about. So you are you're you're from Delaware, native. Yeah. No. Yep, I'm from uh, Wilmington. Uh, I grew up in uh, in in North Wilmington. I, I grew up in Linfield and then moved to Webster Farms when I was 16 uh, with my parents. Um, uh, so yeah, I grew up. I went to Mount Pleasant High School. Went to Tally Middle School. I went to Catholic school when I was a little younger. So yeah, born nice. and raised here. Yeah, so you have a very you have a unique perspective because you know what it is, but now you've you know you kind of have a broader perspective. This is going to be pretty good, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome everybody, uh, comrades, friends, hate listeners. I love them the most. This is uh, Highlands Bunker. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower. We're behind enemy lines. We're in the belly of the beast. Um, we're keeping an eye on everybody. We know what you're doing. Believe me. Believe me. I sound like fucking Trump. Uh, I'm very happy to have uh, Delaware native and freelance writer uh, Paul Blessed here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, Paul was previously the uh, news editor uh, at Splinter. Uh, his byline has graced prestigious periodicals such as The Nation, uh, The Jackman Magazine, and The American Prospect. Um and I think we're going to start today just by talking about the the, the media a little bit uh, and something that I listened to uh, just over the holiday weekend, over the Thanksgiving uh, weekend. And I think it's indicative of a, like a higher-minded theory that we talk about, but it's sort of media-related, and then it sort of segues into the sort of some of the political stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, there is a there's a there's a Chomsky clip I always reference where he's interviewing or he's being interviewed by Andrew Marr of the BBC. It's about 20 years old, I would think. And Marr says, uh, basically Chomsky's talking about manufacturing consent and how the media works pretty much as a, a as a structure by which the the, the, the powers that be get their get their word out. <clears throat> and so Marr says, well, you're 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 well, saying that I'm self censoring. No, not right. self censoring. Uh, you're there's a filtering system that starts in kindergarten and goes all the way through. Uh, and it it's not, doesn't work 100%, but it's pretty effective. Uh, it selects for obedience and subordination. Uh, and especially, I think... That's, so, so, so stroppy people won't make it to positions be of influence. Behavior problems or... If you read uh, applications to a graduate school, you see that people will tell you, He's not, uh, doesn't get along too well with his colleagues. You, you know how to interpret those. And I think people sort of don't, under, don't understand that. So fast forward to this weekend. Um, the WDEL radio personality, Alan Liddell, uh, interviewed uh, Jessica Rain about her uh, challenge um, to Coons. The first uh, words out of his mouth, and we'll link to this, and maybe we'll even play little clips through this, because what he does right out of the blocks before he even introduces Jess, really, he's just introducing the topic, and he says, <clears throat> well, this primary thing is now common in both parties because they're always looking for somebody ideologically pure. It's the first thing he says. So it's like, hey, we have a challenger who's challenging Chris, Chris Coons, and you know what? It's like a really sort of a, a, a glib sort of like, well, you know, we always get these, uh, you know, you got to have purity, you know, whatever. That's So that's the first thing that he says. Now, I would argue that he thinks what he's doing is being the voice of like the regular Delawarean, 
And he was like, well, this is how people think about stuff. What I contend what he's doing is exactly what Chomsky said he's doing, which is just developing this ideological hegemony. And so everybody believes Delaware's like this, the Delaware way's like this. So this is just, this just fits within the construct of the system that we have. You're just, you know, pressing for ideological purity. He, uh, he goes on to press her about, you know, basically who she would vote for in the the Democratic primary, she says, Bernie, right out of the blocks, it's beautiful, she said she would consider Warren, and he's makes her defend the, the Bernie-Warren thing, which she does beautifully. Um, he, he sort of, he says, Chris Coons isn't as bad as Joe Manchin, which I don't know, like, I don't even know what that means. Do you know what I mean? I mean... I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if that's the standard you're holding yourself to, you've already is he? lost. I don't know, and and I. Deller didn't vote for Trump by forty two points either. So yeah, I, I, <laughs> and so I, I guess I, I would. The, oh, the other thing he did, and I, I, I hope people listen to it, is, is he frames Bernie has to be framed like this, and he does this. He said, you know, when he was mayor of Burlington, he made deals with the GOP, and he supports gun rights. So even he has to compromise. So like it has to be put in that frame. Wait, and, he said when he was mayor of the GOP? No, when he was mayor of Burlington. Or, or mayor of Burlington, he had he, to compromise with the GOP? Well, see, I would say he didn't. He made deals with them. Whether you want to call them compromises is, you know, depending on how you look at it. Well, like what? The deals to do what? Like that's the thing, difference between Bernie Sanders and Chris but Coons the, is he's making deals to do austerity. He loves austerity so much. Yeah, uh, and also you just gave you just gave Jess's answer. Actually, <laughs> that's exactly what she said. She's like, okay, well, bipartisan f- to what end? Yeah, Vermont was also a, a Republican state uh, in the '80s, so that's that that would make a, a lot more sense. Yeah, and I and I didn't. I, I wish uh, I had taken some some notes. I I looked at it as just the way he was framing it, but I do know that there's been these headlines circulating from the Times saying. Oh, you know, Mayor Sanders and GOP strike a deal for housing or something or oh, education. Yeah. And you're right. like, well, well, yeah, you would do that. You know, it's not about not striking deals. It's about not doing it for that sake or not doing it uh, in, in in protection or in, uh, for, you know, for, for, for oligarchs or for moneyed interests. But for people's interests, you just happen to strike this deal. Yeah, I, I hope people listen to it and um, and and kind of maybe listen to it through this framework. Um, also, I like I said, I think I think Jess was uh, I think Jess was super. So it's uh, it's it's definitely something you should you should check out. Uh, I think she just crushed it. But I I would I would uh, I would ask you that if you listen to that or listen to that again, I think it's about twenty or twenty five minutes. It's not that long, but listen to how the, the whole thing is framed. You know, and it's this idea, and it sort of segues into um, this this often quoted uh, Coons quote because it goes back to the Carper Carey primary, and it was quoted in uh, the New York Times. Uh, so it's been used a few times, and you quoted it in the American Prospect story. Um, so Coons says um, a younger generation of candidates view themselves as not being willing to work their way up through elections. <laughs> they want to go straight for primarying our most senior elected official. And again, this is this is we ha- that it has to be framed like that because 
Chris Coons has to has to or Carper has to be a person who has special powers or, you know, has been trained properly through the, you know, has been trained properly through the ranks and is able to, uh, you know, fight for, you know, political hegemony. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the story you wrote in the American Prospect pretty much lays it out. You know, this this is what's happening. You know, there's a groundswell of sort of grassroots um, stuff going on um, against uh, what is, you know, called the Delaware Way. Uh, it's about, you know, defending the status quo. A lot of it has to do with big corporate interest, obviously, we talk about all the time. But I think it's a it's a real it's a it's a very good sort of um, sort of introduction to what we're going to be fighting in the next 10 months. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the the main counterpoint to to Coons there is that, you know, the fact that the strong the strongest candidate that the Democrats or progressives were able to find in 2018 to go against Carper and the strongest candidate who's come out so far against Coons are both people who have never held elected office. And the reason is that nobody who holds elected office in the state will go for it. They, they won't challenge Carper and Coons because it's, it's just the way things are done here. I mean, you know, if you, um, you know, if you, if, if anybody who's in the, in the state legislature, the state Senate came out and, and challenged, uh, you know, Tom Carper, Chris Coons, I mean, Carper, especially that would be pretty much the end of their political career here. I mean, so, you know, that's, there's sort of a sense of entitlement and it's kind of hilarious, especially coming from Chris Coons, you know, somebody who fell ass backwards into this job in the first place. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, I mean, we've seen it even with, with the, uh, you know, some of the swaps that they've done where Carper has been swapped over for, uh, Roth or whoever it was, or was it was some kind of Carper, called Castle. It was Castle. Well, again, it's the same person. It's basically the same. It's all the same people. And, We've and had so, the same governor for the last 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think about what Coons is saying in that that quote from back when Kerry uh, challenged Carpers, what he's saying is that the, 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 the party has to ordain you as ready to do, do to you know take a statewide position or, or a city council position or, or a Newcastle County position. And then when your time is ready, you'll be told when you're going to be the person for the next thing. And so that's what he's defending. I, I, I don't understand what, what, what good that is, and it's never been properly explained. So I'm going to explain it the way I just explained it coming in, that it's, it's a, it's a, that's the rigged part of the system. Especially, and it's easy here because it's so small. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's also sort of an, an outdated way of thinking because, you know, when, when Carper came into office back in, in 92, um, you know, the Republican Party was still, you know, had some sort of some semblance of strength here. I mean, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like the Democratic Party wasn't dominant, but there was, you know, every couple of years they would win the House or the Senate. Um, but at this point, it's just sort of, you know, they're sort of, you know, arguing for uh, the Democratic Party. Sorry, my phone is uh, no, going off. Uh, no worries. Keep putting on silent. We're on, we're, on, uh, we're on the fly here, folks. We have important <laughs> people in the bunker. Uh no, it's just cool you could come in here actually because yeah, because you're from here and you don't live here. I was able to catch you sort of on that Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, and you could come in uh, do it in person. It's dope <laughs> as hell. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, you know, there's sort of somebody like Chris Coons. You know, the D- Delaware now is a one party state. It's it's the Democratic Party runs everything. You know, there hasn't been a state. I guess Ken, Ken Simpler was the last person to hold statewide office. 
Um, and then who was who was the auditor? Uh, Tom Wagner. Yep. Yep. So yeah, like that. That's like you know, there there is no Republican Party in Delaware. There might as well not be a, a Republican Party in Delaware anymore. So you have this sort of system. Like I mean, Delaware is one of the only states I can think of that it's like this Rhode Island sort of similar. They're even more conservative than Delaware is, believe it or not. But like, there's you know this this conservative faction of the democratic party just sort of has control over everything and and you know i think when when you hear chris coons talk about uh you know the left uh, you know it's it's always so much more critical than when he talks about the right i mean even when he talks about you know people like when he talks especially when he talks about people like jeff flake or people um you know people like john mccain you know i guess john mccain is everybody's favorite republican uh but um, you know, they, he's, it, it, it really is, you know, about sort of centralizing, uh, you know, power in this sort of centrist wing of the democratic party, um, you know, in this state. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Delaware has had so much corporate influence in it, but I mean, for, for, for somebody like Chris Coons, it's also about job protection. I mean, like, you know, if the left is resurgent in Delaware, that that's, he's, you know, probably the most vulnerable Democrat at the top when it comes to, you know, the, he doesn't have the sort of same power base that somebody like Tom Carper has where like, you know, everybody, everybody who works in politics worked for Tom Carper. I interned for Tom Carper when I was in college. Yeah. I mean, he, I was, mean. <laughs> he was, he, he was a governor. He was a rep. Like he, he did, you know, like Chris Coons happened to fall sort of open, like you said, a, a backwards ass into it because of the, Christine O'Donnell thing from 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 the Newcastle County, but Carper actually did the thing. Right, yeah. Like he was moved around. Like and and Coon sees that and he's like, well, that's the corporate thing. Like just because I fell into it, I'm you know I I'm just in the system now, so I work for the system. This is a, you see this broadly, but as you said, you see it very uh, uh, acutely here. Is they punch left. Like their their threat is to the left. They don't. There's no need for, like you said, the Republican Party in Delaware is is is, is over, and that's I think that's probably true. I just it, it, there's no need for them. Yeah, there's no there's no political need for you know fiscally conservative sort of corporatist you know uh, professional managerial class you know old fashioned Republicans because the, the the Democrats do that. Yeah, they fill that need. That's their constituency. Right. You know so. They're they're threatened by leftist grassroots stuff, you know. I, I'm I'm interested because Coons's situation is what it is. Um, you see a lot of that fear mongering, like, well, remember what the Tea Party grassroots did? They nominated Christina O'Donnell, and then what will happen is you'll give this you'll you'll give this seat away because you've nominated like the insurgent candidate, which is nonsense. It's like you know. This book has words, and this book has words, so they're both the same. Um, but yeah, I think you're going to see a lot of that, and I wonder, uh, I, I wonder how that's going to stick. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, the first time I heard him compare uh, the 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 left sort of to the Christine O'Donnells was uh, earlier this year. He was giving, I guess it was back in September or August. He was um, giving a talk at Notre Dame Law School with uh, Joe Donnelly and Jeff Flake. Uh, just a bunch of heavy hitters all in one room. And uh, they, uh, Coons said, Coons was criticizing the fact that Demand Justice, you know, the judicial reform group was coming after him with attack ads for just voting for, uh, I think the number was 17 Trump judges, or judges that had been nominated by Trump 
who refused to affirm uh, Brown versus Board of Education, <laughs> which is, you know, such a low bar to clear, but there it is. And he was comparing them to Christine O'Donnell. I mean, well, the executive director of Demand Justice is Brian Fallon from Hillary Clinton campaign, formerly of Chuck Schumer's office. I mean, this is not somebody who is, you know, a, D- a DSA member. Uh, this is somebody who is sort of on the, you know, has been critical of the center on the Democratic Party ever since the 2016 election. But, you know, this is not somebody who's looking to blow up the Democratic Party. And Coons is still sort of painting with the same broad brush. And, you know, it, it sort of relies on... Uh, this idea that that I mean, you know, back in, in 2010, Mike Castle was literally the only Republican in the state who could have won that seat uh, from uh, that J- Joe Biden's old seat. So when he lost the primary, it was Coons was the sacrificial lamb and he would just sort of walked right into it. I mean, even if a moderate candidate had beaten Castle in the primary, I mean, I, I think they would have been in trouble. I mean, it was it was that that seat was sort of I, I think that's, you know, my my own personal opinion is that's when you saw sort of the, the death of the Delaware way, because or the, I guess the start of the death of the Delaware way, because there there is no Republican Party that's willing to s- sort of do the same thing after Castle. Like there, it just doesn't exist anymore, and that's why the Democrat uh, the Republican Party has has fallen so hard in Delaware since then. Yeah, and I guess if the example is that these insurgent candidates, uh, they if they can break sort of break the the system. You know, unfortunately, we had another systemic person coming right in behind them the last time. But if that's the point of it, then, yeah, I'm all for that. But if the idea is like, you know, any sort of like the how Alan Ludell freaking framed it. If the idea is, well, you're always going to get these these cranks, these extremists and radicals. That's just what happens. Like, it's not really you have to give it a little more thought than, than that. Like, uh, you know, sort of what the grassroots really is where it comes from is it sustained like again so Christ- when did christine o'donnell uh, beat castle what, what year 2010 2010 have we seen any i mean other than i mean we've seen some crackpots like frankly i think rob arlett's a crackpot guy's a fucking weirdo but we probably uh, to the right of christine o'donnell actually yeah but and he's probably to the right of christine o'donnell but he hasn't really won anything the the, the republican party is in you know not even in disarray it's 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 over for them here. i mean they do occasionally put up a good candidate like ken simpler or scott walker or something but beyond that <laughs> i like how they're both the same so so and, and simpler won that race after chip flower all the chip flowers stuff came oh out. So yeah like, that's right I mean, all that, was, that mess yeah i mean he sort of came in uh, and, and it was also the a highest republican, republican turnout year in delaware history almost right i mean you know 2014 was like probably the best they could do and all they could do was pick up a treasure seat and tom wagner won again <laughs> Yeah, and, and and again, so so, it's not like that's some sort of sustained grassroots movement. It was sort of a fluke yeah. where, you know, we've had sustained grassroots movements here, starting with Eugene trying to run for mayor and, and getting shut out by, you know, the machine, the, 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 the conservative Democratic machine with Brzezicki. Um, Kerry uh, made a challenge that was that was great. Landed, scored big punches. You know, we did we did take back some seats in the state legislature with folks that are at least regular Democrats. Maybe they're not, you know, progressive, but at least they're just regular Democrats. So there's a, there's a a cycle over cycle sort of momentum that's building. And I think to compare that to what Christine O'Donnell did uh, nine years ago, going on 10 years ago is actually pretty funny. I think we should mock that. 
Well, and compare, like, the issues that are being brought forward. It's not, like, pull Delawareans on Medicare for All, pull Delawareans on Green New Deal. That's going to be way more popular than any crank shit that Christine O'Donnell was selling. Like, it's a completely different situation. Like, people just assume that because the Delaware politicians are conservative that the Delaware voters are conservative. Like, that's the... That's behind all of this. Is that well, this is a basic assumption? Uh, Ludell brings that up too about about like Biden and and the cons- like. Aren't most you know, uh, you know, aren't most people just like happy with, you know, the sort of corporatist because it's like jobs and everything? And she's like, yeah, but those you know, corporations don't vote; people vote. So let's see what let's let's you know. He was basically trying to make this like this this argument's never worked. And she's like, well, I don't think it's been made properly. I'm going to make it again, but I'm going to do have something behind it, a grassroots movement behind it, to see if it's going to work. And so she's trying to break through this this exact sort of structural impediment. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, it, it's it, that this argument might might have been tried before, but you know, it's never been tried. But you know, there's there have been very active uh, attempts to shut it down. I mean, you know. When when Coons has been banging on this drum since since 2017, you know, since right after Trump got elected, that you know, Democrats who were looking to run for president were were going too far left, and you got to come back to the center, and the center is the way you win voters, and it's the way that we do things in Delaware, and it's just, I mean, you know, it, it might be the way that you do things in Delaware, but we still have real, I mean, there are still real problems in Delaware. I mean, and you know, there's still. Uh, you know, it's not like it's been a perfect record of governance for for the Democrats, you know, over the past thirty years. Um, but you know, he sort of you know ignores that because that that's also an indictment of him. You know, as somebody who was you know New Newcastle County Executive, you know, uh, the county count. I mean, you know, this is somebody who who did the thing. You know, he was he was the county council president. He was county executive, and he's been in the Senate for going on ten years now. And you know, he's. Uh, he's part of the problem <laughs> and if people start saying that there's a problem you know they're inevitably going to come back to him yeah and i think he i look at him the same way i look at, at you know from from Przicki to to him to our our governor is a worthless you know nothing like just you know just the middling just let let the thing let the thing roll over me you know they'll do it they'll work it out you know um like <laughs> He's um, and and they they all are infl- afflicted with this. The they can't the, the same thing that Chomsky was explaining to Marr. I sort of treat these politicians like that. They can't do any different. The reason that they're there is because they follow the rules. Because they they wait till their hand they wait till they're picked, and they do what they're told. And they, their constituency um, has certain ideas, and I don't think he could do any different, sort of like Chomsky's. I, don't, I, th- I think he believes everything he's saying, but that doesn't change the fact that he's an impediment to justice and change. Uh, and he's proven that you know, in his, his whole career. You, know, you talked about the, the judges. They're terrible. Uh, he uh, confirmed Alex Azar, pharmaceutical kingpin. He confirmed um, Nielsen, who oversaw concentration camps and child deaths in concentration camps. Uh, so, like, what's he doing? What is that? 
is is what he thinks he's supposed to do. The bipartisanship, um, just you know, make sure that protect the status quo, keep the thing moving, you know, all of that. Well, he's doing the most important thing, which is protecting the filibuster. So Jesus Christ. <laughs> guy sucks yeah <laughs> yeah he signed a letter right to protect he, he wrote him and susan collins i think wrote the letter oh that makes sense yeah that checks out yeah i mean if there's anything that needs to be saved in in america it's a filibuster yeah but again that's the, the, yeah and and if people examine that i mean all that is is a way for a very small group of people to hold to wield an enormous power you know a tiny group of senators can decide to basically shut everything down. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just it's the same. Uh, it's the same move. It's a. It's a. It's not as um, insidious, I think, because they can make a bad argument for it. Is the the pago rule in the house like basically saying like yeah, all that shit you want to do, we're never doing that. Like what 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 kind of what kind of what kind of message is that? I mean, what do you say? Like, what if you're a politician and you're 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 uh, going to uh, fight for the filibuster and you're going to fight for Trump judges and you're going to make sure the military has more money than they need. And as a matter of fact, you're going to be uh, totally uh, a supporter of the Israeli apartheid. You're going to you're going to be totally a supporter of the Saudi regime. Um, you, you know, you, like this is the stuff that you're doing. Is that what we, is that what people, the Delaware Democrats really believe he should be doing? That's the question I think is going to be asked of him. Yeah, I don't think anybody's sort of making their votes based on, like, you know, how many Trump judges Chris Coons can confirm. It's just sort of, you know, I mean, somebody like Chris Coons sort of, you know, thrives on on the idea that, like, people, that n- nothing catastrophic is happening. The, the I mean, this is sort of his premise. Uh, and that people don't really know what he's actually doing. I mean, like, you know, there's, when, I think if... If Jess is able to make the argument that, like, you know, what he's doing in office is is actively making people's lives worse, I think that that gives her sort of a fighting shot. Um, and I, you know, that if she does that, she's going to get torn into for not being civil enough. But that's sort of the argument that you have to make that you know, Coons is not meeting people's material needs. He's not doing anything that would help people meet their material needs. Yeah, and she's hit him on, you know, he, he's, uh, the, the three things I know, and I, I, I don't know if they came up, of course they wouldn't come up in the Alan Ludell interview because they they don't want him to come up, but she, the Medicare for All, which is Carl mentioned, the Green New Deal, and the $15 minimum wage, which uh, Coons has been horrible on. I mean, just, like, terrible. And so there are sort of material issues too that I know are going to be sort of top of the top of the list of like you know, when you're door knocking when you're talking to people because yeah I I agree with you like a lot of those things sort of are the headline things that we can talk about and goof on them about but really if you're not supporting Medicare for all a Green New Deal in some fashion uh, or the concept of tying environmental stuff to a jobs guarantee to a housing guarantee and then you have green housing and that actually works into your jobs guarantee to like all of that stuff together if you're not considering that or you don't understand like why the, a movement behind that's important and you're just like oh that's just nonsense then you, you know i think a, a, a very large sort of line of demarcation can be drawn because 
I think people will understand that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I guess we'll see. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, comes down to funding and, you know, there's going to be so much money that's going to be pouring in for coons from, you know, probably even, you know, chamber of commerce, but like even Republicans, I mean, coons is a very, uh, you know, he is like, there was the, the Politico piece uh, from, I think it was last year that he was the, the GOP's favorite Democrat. And I mean, there's a reason for that. He's like, you know, and, and there's a theory behind that, you know, that somebody like Coons uh, could, uh, you know, work to make the, the GOP less extreme or like, you know, water down some of the, this is, this, this is the theory behind it. But, you know, I think you saw with the Kavanaugh hearings that exp- it doesn't work. I mean, yeah, explain that theory to me. Like what, how, has have have somebody tried to has somebody tried to explain that to you because it seems like nonsense. Well, it, nobody's nobody's ever actually tried to explain this theory to me, but I think that sort of the the action behind it, you know, when there I, I remember it was either it was I think it was a Delaware Online article or a News Journal article that came out, you know, when the Kavanaugh hearings were happening that I I happened to come across when I was when I was working on the the piece about Jess uh, was, uh, you know, that Coons was cashing in all of his, you know, his ships basically that he had built up over the years, you know, building rapport with Republicans on the Kavanaugh hearings. And, you know, when, when Flake took that like week to, you know, uh, when he voted for the delay for the very brief delay. So the FBI could investigate those other claims, uh, you know, that was him cashing his chips while it was a week. And then Kavanaugh got confirmed anyway. So, if you were building up all your chips for that and you spent them all on that, I mean, I think that that's a pretty round rejection of, I mean, cause they could have, they could have picked anybody else. They could have gotten anybody else confirmed, but they wanted Kavanaugh. And you know, he, if he couldn't even stop Kavanaugh from being confirmed, you know, I know he's only one Senator out of a hundred, but you know, if he was that influential over Jeff Flake, he could have, that, that could have happened, but it, it didn't. <laughs> Yeah. In a very big way. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a fucking disaster. Yeah. Uh, because not only that, you know, like you said, it it, it would have been better. Like I said, it, he was going to lose, but he went all in on a bad hand and lost. Like it was it was really a, a complete uh, disaster. But it's never no one's ever called yeah. out on. It. Also, like he really wanted to vote for Kavanaugh as well. I don't think people talk about that. That like the way that Chris Coons has talked about Kavanaugh and the Kavanaugh hearings is weird. Like he, there's multiple clips of him saying that, like, you know, I understand why Christine Blasey Ford is upset, but I also understand why uh, Kavanaugh is upset. That I definitely is, know that he is, voted for some, some whether it was a federal judge or a cabinet uh, appointee that they needed to uh, to vote on, but he said something about like, yeah, you know, some Yale connection. Yeah, was it some connection from Yale Law School or something. It's because I he mean, has, this should not come as any surprise. Because he has yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, just, just, it's fucking what yeah. they do. He has uh, this view of politics that there's the anointed that run. This is the Delaware way, basically, except in a broader sense. It goes all the way back to, like, the fucking Federalist Papers, which I'm sure he reads every night before bed. Um, that, like, there's this anointed, these, these righteous that rule. And that's when comments like his stuff about um, women and minorities in the Senate causing discord that like you can't have these rabble rousers in here you have to have the and it doesn't matter like ideology it doesn't matter at that point because we're all we've all been chosen you have your jeff flakes and and like the reason he doesn't like donald trump is not because of like any actual ideological reason he likes john mccain and jeff flake who ideologically are not that dissimilar it's because he's sort of cut in line it's because he's so 
He doesn't value the office, but he prays for him. Well, yeah, he, he will he, pray for him. The the that whole diversity thing when he was like, yeah, you know, I would, you know, diversity is all is great, but uh, you know, it's really going to sow discord. You know, it doesn't bring, uh, you know, it brings, doesn't it rips the Senate apart rather than bring it together. Basically, yeah, I think I think the, I think the exact quote was that he he got a question from somebody uh, in that at that same Notre Dame. Yeah, that was that talk. Notre Dame uh, panel. Yeah, and, and it was just. You know, they were talking about, and, and the whole panel was like, why are politics so partisan now? Why is the Senate so partisan? And and the woman who, who asked the question basically said, you know, well, isn't isn't one of the reasons, you know, that the Senate was extremely white and male, you know, back in the 50s and 60s? And, and you know, it, and, and he basically said, you know, after this very long answer said, you know, I, I hope that, you know, when, you know, people who are going to college for the first time, women, people of color... When they come into the Senate, Senate, it doesn't uh, sow irre- irreconcilable discord. But uh, you know, I I'm not very confident. <laughs> it was just like, well, I mean, you know, you're gonna have to get along uh, <laughs> with people who are not white guys. Well, it was it was funny because Yale. then like Joe Donnelly cousin was like, well, obviously we should like women in right. Senate. And Joe like Donnelly. Joe Donnelly had to jump in to be like, okay, settle down, dude. Yeah. <laughs> You're like you're off the rails. Yeah, I mean, Chris Coons was like, I mean, it was like you know, and his, I, I, I wrote that story, and his, um, you know, his press team basically came at me and, and was just like, you know, this, this isn't what he meant by that. You know, that's he didn't, he didn't mean that. You know, people of color shouldn't be in the Senate. He meant that you know they're gonna f- have to face hurdles, which like could be the case, but the way that he said it, it, said, it was here's the thing. Was, I, I, the, the next that's week, how his press people said it the next day. Yeah, right? how they actually the, said the, it. I remember, uh, I remember when it, it came out, and then you sort of raised it to a national sort of story and got a lot of heat for it. And then within the, within a week or two, there was a debate, and the uh, Young Turks cornered Coons because he was there to give support, I guess, for Biden. So uh, Jenk Uger uh, uh, cornered Coons and was like, do you really think there shouldn't, like, diversity will sow discord within the, the Senate? Or, and he was like, I, I didn't mean that. I'm like, it's exactly what you said, though. Like, like you, you, just listen. I mean, there's a video of it. Just listen to what he said. That's what he thinks. And he realized that he sort of went too far, and now they're saying... He didn't mean it. Well, because he phrased it in like the passive voice and it was like historical. We'll look back and like he phrased it in as much weasel words as possible. But if you look at if you did a sentence diagram or something, that's what he said. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it's it, there's just I, I think that also, you know, you have to look at the fact that who is is the constantly criticizing people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and people who are, you know, people who are first, you know, they were the first in their family to go to college, people of color, you know, people on the left, uh, you know, the class on the left that came in in 2018 was very, you know, it it was not very much not white. I mean, you know, there were, there were uh, when it came, when it comes to the progressives, not, not, not so much the moderates, but, you know, it, he... He is somebody who's arguing ju- just as hard against all this stuff as as you know, sort of the average Republican is. I mean, he's not out there saying that you know Alexander Alexander Ocasio Cortez is going to make it so uh, you can't eat beef anymore or ice cream. But yeah. I mean, he's yeah, he's he's saying that uh, you know this is going to you know he's sort of couching it right now, and this is going to be a loser for Democrats. But I think. 
that if Bernie Sanders was the primary, or even if Elizabeth Warren was the primary, you're going to see that argument shift to, well, this is actually just a bad idea. Um, and, you know, he, he, I think he hopes that it doesn't get that far because then he is going to have to sort of, you know, go to war with his own party over this. But, um, you know, I, I just don't see a world in which somebody like Chris Coons, even if there is a mandate for Medicare for all, even if there's a mandate for the Green New Deal, ever votes for for something like this. And I think that's something that sort of the left has to reckon with. And I think that's why you're seeing so many primary challenges right now. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I, it went back to what I was saying before. His his he's there because he believes that that's not right. You know, he doesn't believe everybody should have uh, this, the same health care the way that, you know, is prescribed in Medicare for all. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe in the, the concepts that are within the Green New Deal. He just doesn't. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to come down to a decision. Do, do we do we? Just want to not have anything, or do we want to try to move forward? Because he's not the—he's never, like you said, he's not going to come to some sort of epiphany and change his mind on any of these things. So it's just, you know, it's—we're just kicking the can down the road on any kind of action to even sort of listen to this nonsense. Um, Oh, I wanted to tell this story because have I ever told you the Ben Sass story? No. And it it reminded me because he's another one of these. You know, like, he's one of the good ones. You know, fucking Ben Sass, right? So, it reminded me, too, because I just got something in the, uh, some correspondence about it. But when I went down to with the Center for Popular Democracy to sort of, like, bird dog a little bit a couple months ago, uh, we were outside a judiciary hearing uh, for uh, Maneshi, that, like, that really ghoulish little troll judge. You know what I'm talking about? So, we were outside there, and we were, like... Now, trying to give some of the senators some some stick as they're going in, you know. Jody Ernst is on the committee. She got some. Um, there was somebody else who was on the committee that I stepped to, but I was like, man, this guy's a big guy. He's like from out west somewhere, gray haired guy. I forget who it was now, but I saw Ben Sass. <laughs> so I stepped up, and he did the thing where he's like on his phone. So you're like, Senator Sass, let me talk to you for a minute. He's like, doesn't even look at, you know, it's like, oh, yes, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, he's not on his fucking phone, right? So he just goes past you. But then I saw Lindsey Graham, and I gave him a bunch of shit, and, and all that kind of died down. <clears throat> Fast forward to the afternoon. We're hanging out sort of just in the, hate, uh, in the heart, uh, heart, heart atrium. And they must have known that there was going to be a meeting inside this one office because you know, senators started going in. And people started coming up and talking to him, like we started, you know, sort of lobbying them in the ha- in the hallway there. <clears throat> well, here comes fucking Ben Sass again. So I step right up in front of him, like Senator, Sa- and and he's doing the same fucking thing. And I went, "You gonna do the same fucking thing with your phone?" He was like, "Sir, I'm speaking with my children." I'm like, first of all, you're probably not." But he's <laughs> like, "Sir, my ch- do you want to talk to my children?" I was like, "I said, y- are you not feeling good today? Just relax, buddy." I said, you're doing the move with your phone so you don't have to talk to me. I was like, it's not about your kids. Don't get me into some freaking Midwest fucking country poontang thing with your fucking kids. I was like, I'm trying to fucking lobby you, and you're, you're just being a dick. So why don't you go to your meeting? And he was like, sir, you're extremely rude. And just walked in. But these, these guys, let me tell you something. When you see them in real life, they suck. They're fucking terrible people. I mean, yeah, there, there was the, uh, 
the one thing I'll never forget about the Kavanaugh hearings is that when the woman got in the elevator with, with Jeff Flake and his face just turned white as he was like sort of like trapped uh, as just hearing sort of the consequences of his decisions. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. I was, I was on the hill that day. I yeah. was, I know, I know that woman. She, um, she's in, in the same group that I go down with. Um, Carrie sort of loosely affiliated with them. So I go down sometimes and cause hell, raise hell a little bit. And I know I was there that day, and I'll tell you what, people were fired up. Like there was a lot of people down, uh, people bird dogging everywhere. And I remember when that happened, she caught him in the elevator, and he just looked like he wanted to be anywhere else in the world. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him when you're. <laughs> yeah, but again, it doesn't. Sometimes it works, you know. Um, I think it's working on Susan Collins a little bit. Yeah. You know, well, the threat of losing her seat is also working on. Her. Well, but that's all part of it. It's not one thing. Yeah. You know, not only is it the threat of losing your seat, it's somebody from the Center for Popular Democracy or somebody every day showing up and saying, hey, you know, you're doing this. You're going to probably lose your seat. So while somebody's trying to take your seat, somebody's in her face telling her every day she's going to lose it. You know, it's all it's all one thing. But, uh, yeah, these people, it's when, when you when you see it up close, uh, you can really tell that they're not it's all fake. Like, they're there to execute a game plan, most of them. Um, well, I mean, all of them, but some of them are, are really insidious. They're there to execute a corporate game plan, to speak to the constituency that has money, um, and that can, you know, sort of move the levers of power, and they protect it at all costs. That's why, you know, you, know, you mentioned uh, sort of the insurgent candidates, the, like mostly women of color, really. Who just came in? Are that's why it was. It's so, it's so miraculous what they did. Yeah, like that. That Ilhan Omar and AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib. That the, the fact that these people are in the house now. It's just like, holy shit! It's, it's you know how that happened. It's almost like uh, we pulled off some kind of magic. Yeah, you know you have Rashida Tlaib getting pulled out of a Trump rally. You know by security, she's in the House of Representatives now. You know it's just it's great. Yeah, I mean there, there's also. Um, you know, it, like you know, AOC, AOC getting rid of Joe Crowley. I mean, Keith Ellison was held on to Elon Omar's seat before that, but I think that there's, uh, you know, what you're going to see, you're going to see a lot more of that over the next couple of years. I mean, especially as you know, more and more Democrats retire. I think that you know, there's a real chance that uh, Henry Cuellar, uh or Quellar, I can't pr- remember the pronunciation of his name, um, uh down in texas you know just Cisneros. Yeah, yeah jessica yeah. Cisneros. i think she has a real shot at beating him i mean she's raised a ton of money and you know a lot the argument that you're sort of seeing like coming out of sort of the center of the democratic party right now is that you know groups like justice democrats and our revolution are going uh going really hard um against uh you know people of color that are that are in the house but it, it seems like they're all the challengers are also people of color. You know, I, there's uh, Morgan Harper in Ohio. I mean, there's there's just a, a lot of of you know left wing people of color who are running for Congress now in the in the House and Senate. And I think that you know it, it's it, it's sort of comparable to the Tea Party in one way, where I think that there's sort of this like awakening uh, that has happened on the left since since 2016 that you know people like Coons. Uh, and Joe Crowley, they just aren't getting it done. 
but I think that it's just going to, it's going to take a little bit more because, you know, the, the right wing primary challengers in the Republican party were well-funded by, you know, groups like, uh, what was Jim DeMint's group? I, I guess the Senate conservatives fund. And then, you know, the Koch brothers, like they had all this funding behind them, but there's the left is starting to get organized. And I think that, you know, it, it might take a while and, you know, maybe we don't have a while, uh, but you know, I, I think that, you know, even if Jess isn't, or just green isn't able to beat somebody like Chris Coons next year. I mean, in 2026, he's going to be up again. And I mean, you know, some, there's a bunch of primary challenges happening in, in the Delaware house and the Delaware Senate this year. So, I mean, maybe one of those people who, if they are able to pull it off this year, maybe they challenge Coons in, in 2026 and have a little bit more support and a, a little bit bigger of a base behind them. And I, I, I think that it's, it comes in, the left is going to have to do it in steps, whereas the right was able to sort of do it all at one time. But I think that they are might be able to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of look at it in a similar way. I think you can still get, you can still pull off sort of the miracle, but also you can look at it um, like I look at this race, uh, the Steny Hoyer race, because he's getting a challenger. Uh, Kendra, Kendra Williams, is that her name? Um, Michaela. Michaela. Yeah, Michaela Wilkes. Michaela yeah. Wilkes. Thank you. And then there's also another. I, I think he has another primary challenger now. Too. Yeah. So and so again, you know, Steny Hoyer is one of the most powerful, you know, people in the house. Um, but if this doesn't work, I mean, he's always also old as fuck. So like, if 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 you can hit him now hard, and so happens maybe you don't win. You you've you've weakened an already sort of older guy, and now you you, may, you know you maybe have weak softened that up where you get it the next time, because that's, that's sort of how that grassroots thing is going to work, uh, and then you know you're you're going to have you're going to have set some of those up the last time, and you're going to you know pull off some you know some miracles, some AOC level miracles, and I think you just chip away at it, like you said, it's just unfortunately just that's just the way it's going to be. I don't think you know they were. Uh, you know, sort of reactionary forces are able to do that because that's sort of the nature of the nature of that. Like, because like you said, it's corporate money. It's a lot one time. Um, you, you don't have to build, you don't have to knock on doors. You don't have to go fucking door to door. You don't have to like go meet people at the thing. You just, you just do that. And so I think, it's a, just a, it's a diff, different game. Yeah. And I think Crowley was also sort of a, I mean, he just never was in his district. I mean, he just didn't, he didn't give a shit like about, you know, going to his district, he just th- he thought he didn't have to do the work. And I mean, you know, AOC was out there pounding doors every single day. And, and you know, I think that you've, you know, in 2020, there's not going to be as much of that. I mean, I think that made everybody in the Democratic Party who was already elected, you know, wake up and say, you know, maybe my seat's not as safe as I thought it was. I got to go back more. Um, so. Yeah, I think you're going to, but I mean, I, yeah, I think if you're able to chip away, I mean, somebody like Steny Hoyer, even if you're not able to beat him in, in 2020 or 2022 or even 2024, by the time he retires, you know, somebody, even if it, it's his handpicked replacement, that person is not going to have as much name recognition as Steny Hoyer. Um, and, you know, I think that that would be, that, that opens it up and that, that makes it, you know, if you've had, you know, two, three cycles of, of a primary challenge pointing out everything that's wrong with Steny Hoyer. Maybe the people who sort of thought, you know, Steny Hoyer's are all, always been a decent congressman to me. You know, I've never had a problem with him. You know, they might be tempted to vote for somebody a little bit more left wing the next time. So, I mean, it's, it's going to take, like I said, it's going to take a while, but I mean, I, I think that it, you know, I think AOC, especially, uh, you know, 
made it so so many more people thought that this was a viable thing in 2020. You know, a lot of people who I thought, you know, who who I, I who I never thought would see primary challenges like like Quayar. I mean, like that's you know, he has been one of the worst Democrats in the House for yeah. so many years, and he actually has a viable. There's a Cisneros has a viable shot at winning that seat. So. Yeah, Alex Rojas is a friend of show, and we talked about her. We sh- she was on, and we talked about Cisneros uh, a little bit. And, yeah, that's actually pretty exciting because he is very bad. Yeah. He stinks. Yeah. There was also a story, uh, you know, even even separate from the politics. I mean, he was, you know, he was campaigning for a Republican in an adjacent seat in 2018 against MJ Hagar, who was, like, not by any means a left-wing Democrat. You know, this is somebody who was... You know, a, a pretty liberal Democrat for a swing seat in Texas, but you know, he was ca- he was campaigning for her opponent, uh, like in the like months before the election. Uh, but he also, you know, there was a lawsuit that one of his uh, former aides filed because she alleged that he he fired her uh, because she was pregnant, which is just like, you know, this is well, like, what are you even doing? <laughs> I mean, like, way to go, bud. Yeah. So before we uh, before we wrap up, I have to get your pick your brain about this stuff because I'm. I, I mentioned we talked to uh, we talked to Nathan Robinson who runs his shop uh, like as a co-op as like a leftist co-op and I know that's how Ashkar and, and uh, runs uh, Jacobin as a sort of a cooperative. Um, some of the other leftist outfits like Splinter um, because they they required other sort of funding, you know, sort of got jacked up. I mean, what's your, in, in general terms, like, what's your feel in a leftist sort of media space? And I, the other reason I ask is because we're getting sort of motivated to sort of not necessarily branch out, but but build in a, in a way that we would be able to create something sort of on a, on a niche basis like here. Um, but I, I'm sure based on the stuff that you've done, you have a lot of uh, sort of views and perspectives on this. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think there's a lot of like a lot of exciting sort of left wing media things that are happening. I mean, when it comes to like, you know, something like Jacobin and Current Affairs are are, are pretty cool. But like, it's just it's. I mean, I think as you've seen, like with Think Progress is another one. You know, there's there's just there needs to be money behind sort of a national left wing outlet, and that's sort of like you know the people who have the money to fund leftist media are are. are often the ones who are being criticized most by leftist media. So there's like sort of that inherent sort of tension there. But I think there's also sort of, you know, the media and the news outlets in general are just like, it's just a really bad time. I mean, I I think that, uh, you know, blogs are just sort of blogs in their form, you know, since Gawker are just sort of dying in general. Um, You know, I I think you're going to see a lot. I, I, I think that in a weird way, like, you know, there's just my own personal sort of prediction that I don't really vocalize that much, but I think there's going to be a lot more like local blogs and, and, and a lot more like leftist media is going to come out of sort of local things, whether it be blogs or podcasts. I mean, like the Trillbillies, uh, you know, in, in Kentucky, I mean, I think that's a good example. Those as guys well. are just on CNN. Shout out to those guys. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I think that that's going to be a, a good example of like sort of what, uh, you know, and it, it, it might not even take just just podcast form. I, I, I think that there is going to be a space for, you know, sort of local blogs to come back. And, you know, that's 
sort of bad news for people who sort of make a living, you know, doing journalism. Uh, but I mean, you know, I, I think that's just sort of the way things are trending because, you know, private equity is sort of ruining everything. I mean, it's not just leftist media, it's places like the Denver post and, um, you know, the Seattle times and just sort of they're They're just, it's just, everything is, is horrible now. If you're, if you're working in journalism, um, but I think that there there are a lot of good things that are happening. I mean, also uh, I got a uh, Strike Wave is a really cool uh, labor newsletter that um, you know a couple of friends of mine in North Carolina and Brendan O'Connor I think is also part of um, who used to work at uh, Gawker and and Jezebel and Splinter. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's just it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, Real and bad. I guess that's why. W- we started to think about sort of alternatives and obviously the one that makes sense to leftist people is like the co-op idea. And so you can keep it like, as you said, things that are going to get national exposure that are going to compete with national outlets. We're not going to be able to do that grassroots starting out because if you take the, you take the private equity money, you're just going to get fucked in the end. Right. Um, Not that we would get any, but we're not looking to do that, you know, national thing, but yeah. So we're just looking for other models because as you said, the state of the game, as far as it is now, is pretty, pretty bleak. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a couple good things out there, so we're just trying to learn from what they're doing and maybe do something that's sort of, uh, you know, contained in, at a local level and see how that goes. Um, I don't know what we're gonna do, but yeah. <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, I mean, I I will say I mean, the the Intercept and the Nation are always good, um, and they've I think they're always sort of gonna be good. I mean, at least. You know, until the money runs, the money runs out. Yeah, but again, like I said, the intercept has private funding, right? So, right. you know, where does that, where does that leave them? I mean, obviously, the reporting is great. I, Jeremy Scahill, I think, is fantastic. It's one of my favorite. I listen yeah. to his podcast all the time. I think he does great work. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely stuff out there that's good. Yeah. Um, the New Republic's coming back. I don't yeah. Even know what's their? They, they've, they've, they've now have like a, you know, a, a proper sort of left wing. Uh, outfit. Yeah, they, they. I think they they were sort of trending that way. I mean, the New Republic was was one of the places I first started writing um, when I started when I started getting started in journalism. Um, but uh, yeah, they've been they've sort of you know had a growing left perspective for a while. Like Sarah Jones was there for a while, and um, now yeah, ever since uh, I guess it was sold by. I guess Chris Hughes, uh, the the new people who bought it. I mean, like Libby Watson and Nick Martin were were two great writers at Splinter, and they're there now. Um, you know, they've they've just picked they've picked up a lot of really good writers. Osita, um, Perrine, right? Is yeah, Perrine, Perrine also. I yeah. mean, they're they're just like putting out a lot of really really great stuff, and um, you know, there's yeah, it's it's just few and far between. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the outlets that are that are still sort of holding the mantle. I mean, they're they're doing it they're doing it well, and you know, hopefully, hopefully, yeah, the money the money stay, stays in it, and they're able to uh, keep it going for a while. Well, Paul, thanks for coming in. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, we'll uh, follow uh, Paul at uh, P Blessed on uh, uh, right, it's P B L E S T right at uh, on Twitter. Follow his work. He'll be. Uh, are you going to be doing more stuff for the American Prospect, or just uh, whatever? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm doing stuff for the American Prospect. Uh, there's a um, blog on Medium called Jen that I've been doing a lot of stuff for, and I'm going to be doing some stuff for the Intercept. It looks like so. 
Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, nice. Uh, we're going to be doing stuff here from the bunker. Everybody knows that. Uh, it's at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. Patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Consider a patronage, folks. You can get it on the ground floor. Who knows? Next year, we might be a huge, uh, might be a huge co-op. Might have, uh, might have office space. Who knows? Uh, but you could be in on the ground floor for just 5 or $10 a month. Uh, Lula is finally leave Ray, so we're going to focus on Chelsea Manning. we got to get Chelsea Manning out of prison, folks. It's very important. Start thinking about it. We're going to do more about it. Left is best. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.